Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. I think I've probably shared this with a few of you before, but uh, on a day like this, I feel saying, feel like saying, it's good to have you all here, and we look forward to seeing you all next week. Because <laughs> I was at a church one Sunday for Easter, and the pastor said the same thing, and everyone laughed, just like you did. So I don't know what that means, but no, it's good to see a lot of faces we haven't seen for a while, and definitely some new faces. We're very glad to have all of you here on this beautiful Easter Sabbath. Aren't baptisms beautiful? Just beautiful. And for me, they are a reminder that what we celebrate today in Easter is not something that we only celebrate once a year, right? It's something that we celebrate every moment, every breathing, waking moment of our lives as as Christians. Death and resurrection. This is our story based on a cross and on an empty, empty tomb. Yeah, I don't know if any of you can relate to this. I have to admit that there are times when it does come time this year, you know, this time of year where we do focus our attention in laser-like focus on the story of of Jesus' death and resurrection, that it always feels a little bit strange when we gather together on Sabbath and celebrate the resurrection. Now, here's what I mean by that. I mean, During the whole week, we join, uh, as Richard mentioned before his prayer, with all our Christian brothers and sisters. We're anticipating this huge, huge event. On Friday night, we gather and we think about the crucifixion of Jesus. And then on Sabbath, because we gather together on Sabbath morning, which is beautiful, it always feels just a little bit up. Not only because everyone else is waiting until Sunday morning, but because the story itself waits until Sunday morning, right? And because as we gather on a Sabbath and sing with joy and praises, I imagine that first Sabbath in between cross and resurrection, and it must have been anything but full of of joy and praise and exuberance, right? I mean, imagine what that first Sabbath in between would have been like. Very different. But this morning, I want us to think about Not that we have this odd practice of gathering on Sabbath morning, but in fact, that this may be an opportunity for us as we gather on our Easter Sabbath. Let's start with uh, an interesting look at John's Gospel. So if you were to turn in your Bibles to chapter 19, John, and and just keep it in John, because we're going to, we're covering the whole Gospel of John today, so in five minutes. (laughs) John chapter 19, right, finishes the story of the crucifixion. And here's what John has to say about that Easter Sabbath, right? John chapter 19. Where did I put my... Ah, the clicker. Thank you. We have it on the screen for you too. But it's great to hear those pages turning in the Bibles. John chapter 19, verse 41. This is after the crucifixion. They have uh, asked, requested the body of Jesus. And it says this. There was a garden at that place, verse 41, where he was crucified. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation, this is late Friday night, also the eve of the Passover, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there at the end of the Sabbath. Now, chapter 20 begins with, early on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. You see what John says about that Easter Sabbath? (laughs) Nothing, right? 
It's not there. Friday, and the very next thing we read, chapter 20, is early on the first day of the week. And again, I want to invite you to come tomorrow. Be sure to talk to Trina, though, if you're going to come. Um, for a great celebration early in the morning. But did you notice what's missing, right? No mention of that Sabbath, except that this is the day of preparation and then early on the first day. Listen carefully to this, okay? Put on your careful reading and thinking for just a moment. I want to read something to you from a great book called Between Cross and Resurrection. Yes, I've borrowed my title entirely from this guy's book. His name is Alan Lewis. Beautiful book about this Easter Sabbath. Here's what he writes, okay? A couple paragraphs. Listen carefully. He asked that same question we're asking. But what about that Sabbath, the day between the afternoon and that morning over which the storyteller passes so quickly? Faith, faith's supreme drama tells of three days that form the center and turning point of history. Yet, ironically, the center of the drama itself is an empty space. If you're following along, there we go. An empty space. All the action and emotions that seem belong to the two days only, right? Despair and joy, dark and light, defeat and victory, evenly distributed in vivid contrast between what humanity did to Jesus and what God did for him on the third day. And so Alan Lewis goes on to wonder, is it possible that this non-event listen carefully, of the middle day could after all be a significant zero, a pregnant emptiness, a silent nothing which says everything. Mm. In other words, could it be that the silence has something to say to us? The Sabbath in which nothing happens has something to say to us? Is there something profoundly meaningful about the fact that we do gather on a Sabbath morning in Easter weekend to worship together? To unpack that, let's listen again one more time. We've been going through the Gospel of John. Let's listen to this gifted Gospel storyteller as he tells the good news story, right? Remember this, you've got it by now, and if you're visiting, we've been going through seven signs in John's Gospel, right? You see them listed there. John has been going through saying these are signs that point to authentic, abundant, eternal life. Jesus points us to the Father who is the giver of that life. So we finished those, and now in, ver- in chapter 12, we're moving fast through John's Gospel. In chapter 12, he's finished the seven signs. The seventh one last week, Lazarus, resurrected from the dead. In verse 23 of chapter 12, Jesus says this. It's a turning point in the story, right in the middle of the Gospel. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... It produces many seeds. The story shifts in John's gospel. And now, for the rest of the gospel, almost half of it, it describes the events of the final days of Jesus' life. The upper room with the disciples washing their feet. Jesus' farewell and prayer for his disciples, which is almost four chapters long. The garden, the betrayal, the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion. And in those dark and agonizing hours on Friday afternoon, says John, the Son is glorified. The strangeness of the Gospel. But if we've been following John's story from the very beginning, 
will have noticed another biblical story that John has firmly in his soul as he writes. With all the sevens involved, any ideas of what this story might be that John has in mind? How does John's gospel start? In the beginning was the Word, right? What story does John have in mind? Remember the creation story, Genesis 1? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. It says that the Spirit of God moves over the formless void. The, the tohu vabohu is, is the Hebrew word. The chaos. God's Spirit moves. John tells his story. The word, in the beginning, the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. John says that this creative, creating Word becomes flesh and moves into the neighborhood. This Word becomes human and moves into this chaotic, broken creation called earth. For John, this is a story of re-creation. His story. Remember in, in the Genesis story, the creation story, he says, in six days, God, by His own words, orders and forms and fills and creates. And then He steps back and He looks at it and He says, this is very good. In John's re creation story in just a matter of years and for john through seven signs jesus touches and teaches and speaks and he brings healing and wholeness and new life into places that were dark into places that were dead into places that were full of chaos and what jesus did was full of grace and truth says john it was very very good Remember the creation story then. God finishes the work that He has been doing of creating the world. And then God creates what? The Sabbath. The crowning point of His good work of creation. And God rests in order to be with humanity that's just been created. The Sabbath is God's way of saying, now I want to be with humanity that I have created. So now look at this incredible good news in the recreation story that John is telling us. As the sun sets on Friday evening, ushering in this strangest of Sabbaths, this Sabbath in between cross and resurrection, God rests in an empty tomb, in a tomb, because He has come to be with humanity. On this Sabbath, God also rests because of the same purpose He had in creation. He wants to be with humanity. And this is what it's taken. This is the Sabbath of all Sabbaths there between cross and resurrection. Throughout history, God has not stopped working until He came to this point. Until He could arrive at rest with humanity, with His, his creation. That's been His work all along. This is the work that Jesus came to do, right? To reveal to us the heart and the character of who God is. God is the kind of God who will not rest, who will spare no expense, who will not stop until He can be with humanity, with His creation. 
This is how far God will go to be with His creation. And it's very, very good news. And yet, good news as it may be, on that original Sabbath, it would have probably felt like anything but good news, right? Imagine that original Sabbath between cross and resurrection. For those disciples, this would not have felt like the good news it feels like to us today. For them, they know nothing of Sunday yet, right? That Sabbath was a day of fear and failure and doubt and disappointed dreams, To all appearances, their hopes in this one, their hopes in this Messiah had been entirely misplaced. He was wrong. They were wrong. Failure. Done. For those Sabbath hours between cross and resurrection, Jesus must, for them, have seemed like anything but a Savior. He couldn't even save Himself. A different feeling that first Sabbath must have had. But when we hear this story told and retold over and over again as it should be, we are in a different kind of place, aren't we? Because we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. We know that on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead and vindicated Him in all that He had done. He showed Him to be truly the One sent from God, the Son of the Father. And because we know the rest of the story, this Sabbath in between looks different to us than it did to those first disciples, doesn't it? And yet, though it looks different, I would suggest that this Sabbath in between, if we take it seriously, is no less shocking. Because we know the rest of the story, we are now sure. We know who it is that rests in that tomb, dead and buried. It's God. God rests in a tomb. This is shocking. This is God's way of healing and saving creation? God, who has at His disposal an arsenal of proverbial lightning bolts to be able to do whatever He wants, to whomever He wants, to, to overwhelm any enemy, to snuff out any resistance with the divine power, has placed all of that aside and he's chosen a path of weakness and vulnerability and suffering as his modus operandi this is god's way of healing creation i think this is what jumps out of the story and grabs us when we pause on this sabbath in between cross and resurrection and I wonder sometimes, is it possible as followers of Jesus? In, in, the, in the jubilant, wonderful excitement and celebration of Sunday morning that the path that got us to Sunday morning can kind of fade from our memories. And, and we can be tempted by what is really the more logical, worldly way that victory and and resurrection arrived at by power and and might and violence and and force. In our elation over the empty tomb, is it possible that sometimes we, we forget what comes just prior to an empty tomb? After all, the message of the empty tomb only matters if before that there was something in that tomb or someone. 
if for a day that tomb held none other than the Son of God. Jesus, the, the way, the truth, the life, shows us something foundational to human living, to the Gospel. That abundant, authentic, eternal life comes through death. That's after all, isn't it, what we reenact in baptism? This beautiful thing where we actually come into a tank of water and in this moment we enact the death and burial and resurrection. The, the death to self, to the old life, to sin, and the resurrection to the new life. And isn't that, I wish you could have seen last night, what a perfect, perfect Easter moment to have a table with bread and juice, to have a cross and a baptistry full of water. All of these, the heart of our faith, right? In, in, in communion, we take into ourselves a broken body and blood poured out by the Son of God into ourselves to remind us that it is through these things that we are given life, authentic and abundant and eternal. New life comes through death. That's the message of Easter. Remember what Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to find your life, you have to lose it. And so it seems, church family, as we stand here on this Easter Sabbath, that we are called to be people who live in the Sabbath in between. People who balance cross and resurrection to be filled with holy awe and wonder at the lengths that god will go to to show us his love right i mean is that not overwhelming to think this is how much god loves us he will stop at nothing to be with us to be filled with awe and yet also to be assured because of the beautiful hope of resurrection of an empty tomb, that this indeed, this kind of path of, of, of pain and suffering and sacrifice is indeed the very path that leads to life. It's a truth. It is true. It is real. So on this Easter Sabbath, let's ask ourselves, what does it look like to be people who live in between, who, who balance cross and resurrection? Maybe it means that we have the clear vision, even in the midst of suffering, to see divine possibilities for new life. Maybe it means that we are less drawn than we would otherwise be to, to the worldly ways of, of power, prestige, fame, fortune, and force. And instead, we are drawn to the way of Jesus because we know that the road to real life goes by way of a cross. Maybe it means our ears are more attuned to hear sounds of heartache and hurt because we have found that that is where Christ can be found. Maybe it means that as a church, our calling is less to stand against or to stand over the world and more to be willing to suffer on the world's 
behalf. Because that's what Jesus did. The one whose name we take as ours, that's what Christ has done. So there's agony. And there's a pouring out of life on Friday. And it's beautiful because of the sacrifice that Jesus gives for us. And and there is exuberance and celebration and joy on Sunday because of the hope and triumph of resurrection. And we are called to be people who live in between. Healed and yet still hoping for a future coming. Saved and yet sent forth to the suffering and to the broken. Loved and called to love. And given abundant new life because we have been willing to die. So may you be filled with gratitude for the gift that was given for each one of us. May you be empowered to live fully and give freely because of the incredible hope of the resurrection. And may you go knowing as you leave this place that Christ the Lord is risen.